When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Three, two, one. But I'm working out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer. Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk okay, Herbstreet is on the phone. Here the podcast. Sports Podcast. Oh, Thursday, August 12, 2021. People, hope everybody is doing well. We got ourselves a really fun episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast today. We are officially inching towards football season, people. It is the middle of August. We are rearing to go. Couple football topics one basketball topic and a great football guest we will talk about the bizarre story that came out Tuesday as Baylor Baylor football hit with NCAA rules violations from what you ask the Art Bryles situation that happened five years ago you know I have some reaction to that including why uh, as disappointing and weird as this situation is probably good news for Louisville basketball Arizona basketball Tennessee football etc we will talk about the latest twist in Gaudio versus Chris Mack the Louisville coaching staff in shambles we will also get into the first college football coaches poll as the coaches poll was released on I guess it was Tuesday. We will have full reaction teams that are too high, teams that are too low. As I said, college football season is here. And then, oh, by the way, a great guest, the return of a great friend of the Aratora Sports Podcast, Hugh Freeze, head coach, Liberty. We had Coach Freeze on the end of last season in the middle of Liberty's incredible run that ended with them finishing 10-1, ranked in the top 25. Coach Freeze is back. He is back today to talk about his 2021 team, what it's like on Liberty's campus as Liberty football is rolling, Hugh Freeze is rolling. He also is playing at Ole Miss this year. We have some fun conversation about Ole Miss, his relationship with Lane Kiffin. Really think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, as it's just going to be a fun show. As I said, football season is basically here. Three, four topics, then we get to Hugh Freeze. All right, let's get to the topic of the day. And you talk about a topic coming completely out of nowhere. We are going to lead the show with the NCAA finally punishing Baylor football for rules violations. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, wait a second, what did Baylor do? When did Baylor football get in trouble? Uh, you know, I've been watching them for a while. It doesn't seem like there's been any problems. They had Matt Rule there for a few years. They were pretty good. Played for a Big 12 title. Go to a Sugar Bowl. Uh, he spit on himself. Leaves. If you remember, by the way, he did spit on himself. It was caught on camera, you know, in the Sugar Bowl. But anyway, uh, he leaves. He goes to the Carolina Panthers. They bring in Dave Rand. But when did Baylor get in trouble in football? I don't remember that. To which I would say the NCAA came down and punished Baylor for, are you ready for this? The violations that led to Art Bryles firing in 2016. That's right. Art Bryles and his staff are fired in 2016. Since then, Baylor has had three coaches. 
I remember being in Florida when Art Bryles was fired visiting a friend. That friend has since moved twice since Art Bryles was fired. Well, on Wednesday, the NCAA finally came down with a punishment against Baylor football, but there's a twist here. And if you remember what Art Bryles and his staff were accused of, uh, they were not punished for what you think they were punished for. And before we get into it, I do want to give you a warning. If you have kids in the car, small children, whatever, we are about to talk about a very serious topic going forward. This might be a good time to kind of skip ahead, uh, go to the Hugh Freeze interview, whatever. I want you to listen to the whole show, but I understand this is a very sensitive issue going forward. So again, be warned as we move forward on this Baylor conversation. But with that, let's move forward. And if you remember, Art Bryles was fired for this simple reason. Many of his players, many of them, dozens, literally dozens, were accused of sexual assault by female students at Baylor. Um, And so he was eventually fired during that investigation. Here's what happened on Wednesday, though. And this is the crazy part, and this is insane to me. Art Bryles and his staff were not punished for covering up those sexual assaults. The NCAA basically said, look, that is a criminal investigation. And oh, by the way, oh, by the way, the problem was so bad that it was a Baylor-wide, campus-wide problem that wasn't specific to the football program. And so the NCAA decided not to punish Baylor, not to punish Art Bryles for multiple cover-ups of multiple sexual assault accusations in the early part of the 2010s decade. So four, five, six years, multiple cover-ups, crimes, the coaching staff helping cover stuff up. Some of it was found to have happened. Some of it was found not to have happened. Some of the players were found to have been guilty in a court of law. But the NCAA basically said, look, the problem was so bad at Baylor that we're not even going to punish them for that because it was a campus-wide problem, not a football-specific problem. And instead, we're going to ding them with minor violations having to do with NCAA rules, extra benefits, etc. To which I say, on one hand, which I'll explain in a minute, okay, I get the NCAA wanting to stay out of criminal matters, but on the other hand, what are we doing at CAA? What are we doing? And I'm going to give you an example in a moment that I think really does pertain to this going forward. Now, on the one hand, let me take backtrack for a second. Let me say that I do think in some cases it is weird when professional leagues, the NCAA, college conferences get involved in criminal matters, okay? I'm going to step out of this Baylor bubble for a minute and I will give you another example. Remember about four or five years ago, Ezekiel Elliott was accused of a crime and remember the, NCAA, or the NFL excuse me, did its own investigation outside of the criminal investigation? If you remember, the criminal investigation ended with Ezekiel Elliott not getting charged with a crime. In other words, the criminal justice system said that Ezekiel, they didn't have enough proof to, put a, to give charges to Ezekiel Elliott, let alone bring him to court for a crime. Yet the NFL did their own investigation. The NFL's own investigator said the same thing. I don't think we really have enough to punish Zeke on this. And Roger Goodell suspended him for six games anyway. And so I bring it up because it always is weird with that fine line and that fine balance of how far can a a, a conference or sports entity go, a league like the NFL go when it comes to criminal matters. I understand that part. And in some ways, I will recuse the NCAA for this decision. But at the same time, you talk about selective uh, punishment from the NCAA. Give me a break. And let me give you another example. Think about what happened at Baylor. 
Think about the fact that multiple football players were accused of sexual assault and multiple football coaches were accused of covering it up. Think about the fact that some of those players did serve jail time. Some of those players were found guilty in a court of law. Now, all of them weren't. You can go read about it if you really want to. I'm not saying every single player that was accused of something was guilty, but enough were and the coaches covered it up, and the coaches in some cases brought these kids in after they had committed crimes at a previous place. There was a very famous case of a football player at Boise, gets thrown out for domestic violence at Boise State, he comes to Baylor, commits a crime, goes to jail, and Art Bryles knew about the previous crime and took him anyway. So think about the fact that the NCAA felt that they could not punish Baylor for Art Bryles uh, and his staff's decision to cover up a lot of these allegations, okay? Then think about the situation at Louisville, where the University of Louisville had to take down a basketball national championship banner for having strippers in a dorm room, okay? For having strippers in a dorm room, Louisville had to remove a national championship banner. To which I say, and this proves that the NCAA is so weird and so selective in how they decide to punish and what they decide to punish for. Think about that. Which is worse? Just think about it. Actual sexual assaults that happened and then are covered up by a football team or strippers in a dorm room. Yet Baylor gets nothing. Louisville has a national championship banner taken down. And I know some people would say, well, Louisville, the coaching staff paid and it's this. No, let's just be honest. Let's think about it. Let's use our, our big boy thinking hats, big girl thinking hats. What is worse? Accusations of covering up sexual assault or having strippers in a dorm room. If we're all adults, we know which is worse. Shame on the NCAA for selectively deciding to not punish Baylor, but punish Louisville. And I'll tell you this, we're going to get to Louisville and Chris Mack and Dino Gaudio in a minute. But if I was Louisville's administration, I would wait till the current investigation was done. The current investigation is into the program. And if I was Louisville, I'd put that national championship banner back up. And I would say, you want to come get us? Come get us. But if you're going to let Baylor, let their coaches cover up all of these crimes, Yeah, we committed crimes, but nobody covered it up. We admitted to it. We told you it happened. If I'm Louisville, I am pissed today in the same way that I was pissed when I was Louisville two, three years ago when North Carolina, I'm not trying to compare one case to the other, what's worse, what's not. But if you remember that North Carolina case from three, four, five, ten years, three, four, five, six years ago, remember North Carolina had like 20 years of academic fraud that went on on campus and North Carolina got got out of it because they basically said, look, other students had, had access to these, to these classes, so it can't be an improper benefit because everybody had access to it. It just proves that the NCAA is selective in how they're punishing teams and schools and players. If I'm Louisville, I am pissed, and I'm hanging up that national championship banner. Now, in the bigger picture, let's put aside the sexual assault allegations, accusations, the accusations of cover-up, and let's look at the fact that Baylor was found guilty of impermissible benefits, and despite it, no further punishment, no bowl ban, no, you know, limited scholarship reductions, limited recruiting restrictions, limited whatever. They're on probation, but nothing happens. Nobody else is losing their job. Nobody's getting fired. Nobody has to miss a bowl game. If Baylor goes 8-4 and four this year, they'll go to the Texas Bowl or whatever. You know what that says to me? Again, let's put aside the sexual assault allegations. It says to me, this is further proof that the NCAA is officially out of punishing schools for extra benefits violations. And if you want to compare, if you want to think about another situation, think about what happened with Oklahoma State basketball last year. Oklahoma State basketball was given a one-year postseason ban as it pertained to stuff from the FBI case, okay? And when you think back to Oklahoma State a year or so ago, 
when they gave out a one-year postseason ban, everybody in the media freaked out, myself included. I said, this is unfair. This is ridiculous. If you look at the facts of this case, the punishment does not fit the crime. So what does the NCAA do? If you remember, the NCAA basically uh, allowed Oklahoma State to appeal it, and they never, they never came down with a final verdict. And so Oklahoma State, with Cade Cunningham this past year, was allowed to play the regular season, play in the Big 12 tournament, and go to the NCAA tournament. And what that said to me, the NCAA is out of punishing for extra benefits violations. The NCAA has decided we don't want the backlash, the public backlash of punishing schools for extra benefits violations. And to take it a step further, now with the name image likeness rules in place, it looks stupid to punish schools for extra benefits violations. Happened with Oklahoma State, which was allowed to play in the tournament last year. And it happened with Baylor, which was found guilty. Again, they were found guilty on Wednesday of extra benefits violations. NCAA said, fine, you can still play in your bowl game. You can, you're still eligible for the Big 12 championship game, whatever. Why do I bring it up? It is because today, in my opinion, is a good day for Tennessee football. It's a good day for Arizona basketball. And it's a good day, again, for Louisville basketball. Big topic on today's show, Louisville basketball. If you think about those three schools, they all broke NCAA rules in regard to extra benefits. And to their credit, all three schools punished the people that were guilty. In Tennessee football's case, it was Jeremy Pruitt. He was fired. Phil Fulmer, the AD, was also fired on top of that. Beyond that, beyond that, in Arizona basketball, Sean Miller was recently fired. Obviously, Book Richardson, the assistant coach that was directly tied to it, actually served jail time. And Louisville fired Rick Pitino to bring in Chris Mack, and we are going to talk about Chris Mack in a minute. If I was those three schools right now, I would feel pretty good that I am not getting punished further by the NCAA. Because if the NCAA basically said, we're going to push aside all of the real serious allegations at Baylor, we're just going to look at the fact that you did give away extra benefits, but we're not going to punish you, that probably means they're not going to punish Tennessee football or Louisville, football or Louisville basketball or Arizona basketball either. doesn't make sense. Again, they don't want the negative PR. They don't want the negative backlash. And in the name, image, likeness era, it doesn't really make sense to punish people for giving out extra benefits when everybody's getting extra benefits now. On top of that, I would also say those three schools specifically did what they were supposed to do. They took care of business. Tennessee fired its football coach. Louisville and Arizona fired their basketball coach. And so I would feel good about those three programs, and I would fight it. Now, LSU with Will Wade, uh, uh, Memphis with Penny Hardaway, I would feel a little different there. But if I was those three schools, I would include NC State basketball in there, same deal. Fired Mark Godfrey. I'd feel good that the NCAA is just basically out of the punishment game, out of the rules violations game. Don't know if that's exactly how it's going to happen, but that's what I would do. And if I was Tennessee, if I was Louisville, if I was Arizona, I would fight, fight, fight and say, wait a second now. Baylor did not get a postseason ban. Oklahoma State allowed to play in the NCAA tournament last year. You can't punish us. You shouldn't punish us. We did what we were supposed to do. That remains to be seen. But if I was Tennessee, Arizona, and Louisville, I would fight. Speaking of Louisville basketball, Cardinals back in the news on Wednesday as a wild story that I really, I went over it probably about two, two and a half months ago. We got some details on that story and I want to get into it more here, but the story was, if you remember, this happened, I don't know, two months ago or so maybe, but Chris Mack, the head coach at Louisville, fires an assistant coach named Dino Gaudio at the end of the season. It happens. It's part of the deal. It's part of being in coaching. Just one problem. 
Dino Gaudio and Chris Mack are longtime friends. Dino Gaudio actually recruited Chris Mack when Chris Mack himself was a player 25, 30 some odd years ago. Uh, And then in a crazy twist, this is what happens. Dino Gaudio basically says, oh, you want to fire me with one year left on my contract, one year left till retirement? Well, guess what? If you don't pay me that last year, I am going to go to the NCAA and I'm going to go to the administration because I know we broke NCAA rules. Except Chris Mack one's up, one-ups him because Chris Mack, knowing that Dino Gaudio was going to be mad, was actually recording the conversation with Dino Gaudio, takes it to his superiors, and Dino Gaudio is charged with extortion in federal court. And so on Wednesday, we got an update, we got some details, some files were released, basically explaining how it went down, and we got some details. Now, it really started six, eight months ago, maybe even a little bit longer, really about a year ago, where the rules violations Dino Gaudio references, he brings up apparently to Chris Mack many, many, many months ago. In terms of major rules violations, they're really pretty minor. One of them had to do with some recruiting videos that somehow, some way, kind of, um, you know, uh, were somehow a violation of NCAA rules, but like not serious stuff, okay? Clearly not serious stuff, especially related to what we just talked about three minutes ago with Baylor. On top of that, Dino Gaudio was uncomfortable with some of the workouts that happened during COVID. Um, You know, my understanding, if you go back to the initial story, was that student managers were involved, so maybe there was an extra manager or two in the building when they shouldn't have been. The point is, these were not egregious, egregious rules violations, but Dino Gaudio kind of goes to Chris Mack during last season and says, look, man, I'm not telling you how to do your job, but I don't like the way some of these things are being done. Chris Mack clearly remembers that going forward because then this is what happens. Louisville plays its season. They are left out of the NCAA tournament. If you remember, they are the first team out of the NCAA tournament. 69th team in a 68-team field. Yes, I just dropped 69. No, it's not funny. Unless you're Rob Gronkowski, dropping 69 jokes is not funny. Louisville, 69th team in the NCAA tournament. They are out. Immediately after the selection show, Chris Mack calls a coach's meeting, and basically freaks out, like any coach would. And I'm not defending Chris Mack, but any coach would. And he basically says, uh, these players are terrible. I got to get me better players. We're pulling scholarships. I can't take this anymore. That's essentially what happens. Uh, Dino Gaudio actually goes to the defense of the players and says, look, we can't pull scholarships. Calm down, coach. We'll get through this, whatever. As it turns out, Chris Mack has already decided, apparently, that he is going to, not only not only is he frustrated with his coaches, but that he is going to shake up the coaching staff. And three days later, that is where the situation happens, where he goes to Dino Gaudio and says, look, I got to let you go, man. I'm sorry to do it. Dino Gaudio freaks out. Dino Gaudio threatens to go to the NCA. Chris Mack is recording. That is how we got to where we are. But crazy story, and just a couple thoughts here, because uh, on the one hand, I'm going to defend Chris Mack on a few things, because I think this stuff makes Chris Mack look really bad. I don't think it necessarily makes him look good, which I'll get into in a minute, but not quite as bad as you think, okay? First of all, in terms of Chris Mack saying he's going to pull scholarships, I'm just telling you, as somebody who has covered college sports forever, that is a conversation that I guarantee happens with every team on the wrong side of the bubble on Selection Sunday. It is a coach overreacting in the moment. I don't believe that Chris Mack was really going to tell players, you got to leave, your scholarship here is no good anymore. When you miss the NCAA tournament, when you are the last team out, you know what's going to happen. You freak out. 
this guy stinks. We're not good enough. I got to get me some dudes. It happens at every program in the country. It happens with every coaching staff in the country. I guarantee when Duke missed the NCAA tournament this past season, Coach K had a closed-door meeting with his staff and said, those guys sucked. What did we do? We got to figure it out. We got to make sure we get better players. And he may not have explicitly said uh, we're pulling scholarships, but that to me sounds like a coach that was frustrated at the end of the season, probably no different than Tom Izzo, John Calipari, Coach K, basically anybody that had a frustrating season. So that doesn't really bother me. I know I'm supposed to get mad. I don't believe that Chris Mack was going to pull in five players and say your scholarship's no good here anymore. Two, on top of that, the recruiting violations, as I said, they're minor. If I was going to crush Louisville, I would crush Louisville. But in the grand scheme of recruiting violations, um, you know, having a, an extra manager or two in the room during a COVID practice, I can't freak out about. Um, you know, having a weird recruiting video that's not allowed, I can't freak out about. So I will defend Chris Mack on that. And then finally, and most importantly, Chris Mack did say, according to the file, look, Dino, man, I'm sorry, but I got to do this for the good of the team. And according to the report, Chris Mack even said to Dino Gaudio, I will pay your last year of salary out of my own pocket if I have to, which to me is an incredible gesture from Chris Mack. And so I can't like crush Chris Mack because I think he's acting in frustration the way that any coach would in a situation like this. What I would also say is I can't deny that it doesn't look good for Chris Mack either, okay? When I think about this whole situation, three things come to mind with Chris Mack. One, he is, you know, I don't want to say he's on the hot seat at Louisville, but the fans are really, really, really frustrated. I mean, you look at this situation where Chris Mack was supposed to be the savior, um, and I think you could argue, and, and people will get mad at me for saying this, but, you know, there, there's people in Louisville that, that point blank want to bring back Rick Pitino. I go on radio with Nick Coffey every single week who hosts in Louisville. There are people that want to bring back Rick Pitino. Chris Mack in his first year, kind of a weird year, taking over. There's that gap year after Patino leaves and David Padgett is there. They go 20 and 14. 2020 was basically his only good team and the NCAA tournament was canceled. And then this past season, they went 13 and 7 and missed the NCAA tournament. And so I'm not saying he's on the hot seat, but patience is wearing thin there. And so I do understand that it probably doesn't look good when he goes behind a closed door meeting and starts blaming the staff and blaming the players for not making the NCAA tournament. Which brings me to the second point. I sure wouldn't want to have to be Chris Mack and kind of, you know, looking eye to eye with his players at the next practice because whether these are conversations that happen behind the scenes or not in college basketball, I'm just going to tell you, um, it's never easy when it becomes public that you told your coaching staff these players are not good enough. And then three, I think it'll be really interesting. Uh, Louisville has two new assistant coaches on their staff this year. Uh, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. I, if I was one of those two new coaches, I would not feel good about the situation. It's clear that to some degree, Chris Mack is feeling heat. To some degree, Chris Mack is unhappy with the state of the program. And if they don't win and they don't deliver this year, again, I don't know if he's on the hot seat. I don't know if he'll get let go, but patience is wearing thin there. Uh, so, I, I, you know, it's not a good time to be Chris Mack. I saw my buddy Jack Pilgrim say uh, on Twitter that kind of on the recruiting trail this summer, it felt as though uh, a lot of the goodwill that Chris Mack had built throughout his career is gone. Obviously, fires an assistant coach. So it'll be interesting to see. One last little note on the Chris Mack. Did you see this? You talk about an all-time flex from John Calipari. Cal, you know, Cal, say this for Cal. He knows how to play the game. He knows Calipari smells weakness in the water. Um, and Calipari, this is what Calipari did. So Dino Gaudio is basically trying to keep himself out of prison for extortion. 
and he's looking for letters of recommendation from important people, basically validating, hey, I'm not a scumbag. Yes, I, I extorted this guy. It wasn't the smartest move, but I'm not a terrible person. You know who wrote Dito Gaudio a letter of recommendation in terms of his character? John Calipari. And you could say, I know they went 9-16, and 16. I know he this, I know he that. But Chris Mack was starting to get a little bit of leverage in the push-pull Louisville-Kentucky rivalry. He does that video calling out Coach Cal when the Louisville game is played with no fans in the stands. He, he wanted to cancel the game. He calls out Coach Cal, you're calling ESPN behind my back, blah, blah, blah. Then they beat Kentucky just barely this year. Chris Mack does the video with the former Louisville basketball or Louisville football player. You know what Coach Cal does? He writes a letter of recommendation for a guy that's trying to extort Chris Mack. You can't make this stuff up. Say what you want about the Louisville-Kentucky rivalry, but I would argue uh, certainly the most interesting rivalry in college basketball right now. Neither team was very good last year, but Calipari just stabbing Chris Mack in the back and twisting it by issuing a letter of recommendation from Dino Gaudio. All right, finally, I do want to wrap uh, with some college football because, like I said to lead the show I mean college football is basically here uh, I should mention by the way I, I, I forgot you didn't forget but uh, Hugh Freeze will join me here in about 10 minutes from now Hugh Freeze of course the head coach at Liberty former old Miss coach really fun interview with coach Freeze you know I had him on last year in the middle of their kind of crazy run they finished 10 and 1 in coach Freeze's second year if you remember it was uh, just their second year as an FBS program in general they finished in the top 20 now Hugh Freeze has one of the most exciting teams in college football coming back this season. So Hugh Freeze is coming up. But what I want to do is, with college football getting so close, we are now officially three Saturdays away from games, okay? So we have two open Saturdays. Then we have that week zero where there's three or four games. And then we're going with college football. And before we get to the topic that I want to get to, I should let you know. There are some really exciting things going on in my personal and professional life. Uh, so stay tuned to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast because I cannot wait to give you details on all of those things. Waiting to cross some T's, dot some I's on some really big things that are coming up. And so I hope you'll stick around and I hope you'll stay tuned because we got some fun stuff ahead. But as I said, college football is basically here. Um, and one sign that we know college football is here is that the first college football coaches poll has come out. Now, if you'll remember, there's two polls that go on at the same time. The AP poll will come out next week, but the first coaches poll is out. And what I want to do is talk about five teams that I believe are completely overrated or underrated based on the coaches poll. Before we get to that, let me give you the top 10. I'll give you the top 10, a quick reminder of what each team did last year. Again, it's like I always say. After a long summer, we talk college basketball, we talk the NBA, we talk the NBA draft, we talk transfer portal. It's time to get our brains back into college football mode. So first of all, here's the top 10 of the AP, what they did last season, and then I'll go through five teams that I think are overrated, five teams that I think are underrated. Number one, Alabama. No surprise there, they won the national championship. Yes, they lost Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith. They still have some guy named Nick Saban as head coach. They went 13-0 last year against what I would argue is the toughest schedule in the history of college football. Alabama is number one. Number two is Clemson. Big story, they obviously lose Trevor Lawrence. They do bring back DJ Uyla who was awesome against Notre Dame in his one of two starts last year in the absence of Trevor Lawrence. They are number two, their whole defense is back. I think you could argue they probably have the best defense in all of college football this year. Clemson, number two. Oklahoma, number three. A little bit of a slow start. They started one and two last year. They finished the season on an eight-game winning streak, win the Big 12, 
beat Florida in the Cotton Bowl, and they are really good coming into this year. Probably the best defense of the Lincoln-Riley era, and I'll just tell you, in Vegas right now, a lot of money coming in on Oklahoma to win the national championship. Number four, Ohio State. Ohio State, the big story there is obviously they lose Justin Fields. They basically have four five-star quarterbacks now competing to replace him when you add Quinn Ewers, the player who just reclassified this week. Uh, C.J. Stroud, a kid from Southern California, is probably in the driver's seat to get that spot. But Ohio State at number four. Georgia at number five. I've talked about it all summer. This is the year. Got to be the year. J.T. Daniels, USC transfer, is in at quarterback. They played really well when he got inserted late last year. They have to win this year. This is the year for Kirby Smart. Number six, Texas A&M. Basically return everybody other then their quarterback, Kellen Mond, who is now with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, Texas A&M finished 10-1 and last year. They won the Orange Bowl. They were the fifth best team in the country. Almost made the college football playoff. Returned basically everybody on defense. Maybe the best defense in the SEC is not at, at Alabama, not at Georgia. It could be at A&M. Number seven, Notre Dame. Notre Dame, of course, made the college football playoff last year. They were part of the ACC last year. Um, and Notre Dame is now again an independent. They are in at number seven. I'll talk about them in a minute. Number eight, Iowa State. Really cool story. They were they they finished runner up in the Big Twelve last year. Did beat Oklahoma in the regular season. Go to the Fiesta Bowl. Beat Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. Really talented team. Bring back everybody. Iowa State. How about that at number nine or number eight? Excuse me. Number nine, Mac Brown, North Carolina. Mac Brown, of course, is is the head coach there. They bring back Sam Howell, potential Heisman Trophy winner. Cincinnati with Luke Fickle as the head coach at number ten. What I want to do now, I just gave you the top ten. Just want to give you a quick rundown. I want to give you five teams that I think are either overrated or underrated going into the season, and then we will get to Hugh Freeze. The first one I believe is ranked too high. I believe they are overrated. It's Notre Dame at number seven. And listen, if you listen to this podcast, what I will tell you is this. If you listen to this podcast, you know I'm not Mr. Crush Notre Dame guy. I think Notre Dame in some ways has become the Gonzaga of college football in the sense that anything short of winning a national championship, people are going to say they're overrated, they stink, they suck, whatever. Notre Dame was competitive against Alabama in that college football playoff. They beat Clemson in the regular season, but they just can't get over the hump. And so I think Brian Kelly is in a situation where he's in that weird middle ground where he's not Alabama or Clemson, but he's not really bad either. And I think based on where we are in college football right now, Brian Kelly has Notre Dame operating at about as good as they possibly can be, have made the college football playoff two out of the last three years and finished with 11 wins in 2019. This year, though, I do, rank, I do believe they're ranked a little too high at number seven, and let me explain why. Yes, they made the college football playoff last year, but they returned just two starters on offense. They lose four starters off their offensive line. They were great at running the ball last year, basically was able to move the ball on, on the ground against everybody other than Alabama, uh, but... They lose four starters on the offensive line. Ian Book was a three-year starter quarterback. He is out. Jack Cohn is in to replace him, Wisconsin transfer. I don't believe that Jack Cohn is a difference maker. Uh, You know, Notre Dame does have kind of a manageable schedule, but with that said, I don't love the schedule for them. They play Wisconsin on a neutral field. They play North Carolina at home. And I just don't think they have that elite upper-end talent where they're going to go 11-1, where they're in Ohio State or Clemson or Oklahoma where they can just lose a bunch of guys and we assume they're good. So I believe that Notre Dame is ranked too high at number seven. Number 11, Florida. I also believe they are ranked too high. Think about it in this context. Florida at one point last year was eight and one. Then they lost their final three games of the regular season, or three games of the season, excuse me. They lose on the final day of the regular season to LSU, a 24-point favorite at home. They end up losing to LSU. 
Uh, from there, they lost in the SEC title game. And from there, they lost to Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. They got destroyed. And so when I look at Florida, if they went 8-4 and four last year with the talent that they had with Kyle Pitts, top five pick, Kadarius Toney, first round pick, Kyle Trask, an NFL quarterback, what are they going to do this year when they lose all of them? I don't like Florida. I don't think their personnel is very good. And they got a brutal schedule. They play at LSU. They play... Uh, they play Georgia in their cross game, you know, their, their rivalry game that they play every year in Jacksonville. And then in the cross division, not only do they play their annual game against LSU, they have Alabama on the schedule this year. I think they're 9-3 and three at best. Really could be a 7-5 and five football team if things break the wrong way. A team that I think is ranked too low is actually the Wisconsin Badgers. And look, Wisconsin's not going to make the college football playoff. They're not going to beat Ohio State. We won't do that song and dance with them. But they were a team maybe more than anybody impacted by COVID last season. They obviously, because of the Big Ten, they didn't start until really, really, really late. However, with that said, they start the season, they beat, uh, they beat Illinois by about 35 points, and then the day after the season opener, their starting quarterback, Graham Mertz, and their head coach, Paul Christ, both test positive for COVID. They have to miss the next two games. And the team never really got back on track from there. So I think when you look at last year with Wisconsin, you have to understand that it was just a weird, bizarre COVID year for Wisconsin. Even with that said, they still had a top 10 defense in the country. Now the offense comes back almost entirely intact, and the schedule actually breaks really nicely for them. They don't play Ohio State in the regular season. They play Penn State and Michigan at home. They do play Notre Dame in the out-of-conference, but it's a neutral site game at Wrigley Field in Chicago. So I think Notre, uh, I think Wisconsin's probably a 10-2 or 11-1 football team. I don't think they're making the college football playoff, but I do think they are ranked too low at number 15. Another team that's ranked too high, Texas. I mean, come on. Like, like how many times are we going to do this song and dance with Texas and in defense of Texas? And I don't do it often. They weren't as bad as you remember. They actually went 7-3 and three with Tom Herman last year, still decide to fire him, still decide to bring in Steve Sarkeesian. And look, I think Steve Sarkeesian is probably going to work at Texas. At the same time, let's be honest, 7-3, and three, they lose Sam Ellinger, they lose their best edge rusher in Joseph Asai, they lost their offensive, most of their offensive line. I just don't like the personnel they have. On top of that, Texas has a brutal out-of-conference schedule. They play at Arkansas, which is going to be a tough rivalry game, at, uh, you know, at, at Razorback Stadium in Fayetteville, it is going to be a really tough game. On top of that, they play Louisiana Lafayette or just Louisiana. Don't call them Louisiana Lafayette. They play them in their opener. Louisiana is actually ranked in the top 25 to start the season. They return everybody off a team that, that won 10 games each of the last two seasons. One of the best group of five teams in college football. Texas could realistically enter Big 12 play at 1-2. and two. At best, I think 2-1 and one is realistic. They're going to lose some games they shouldn't. They're going to lose to Oklahoma. 20, number 20 is ranked too high. Finally, the last team. How about the Liberty Flames? I think they are ranked too low because they're not ranked in the top 25 at all. And yes, we're going to get to Hugh Freeze momentarily. But before we get to Hugh Freeze, think about this. How are they not ranked? They went 10-1 and one last year. They finished ranked in the top 20, and they basically returned like 20 starters this year. I think it's 19 starters in total because all of their players took that extra COVID year. And so when you look at this team, 10-1, and one, ranked in the top 20, 19 starters coming back. How are they not ranked? On top of that, I would say Coastal Carolina. Love Coastal Carolina. We had Jamie Chadwell on this program a few weeks ago. Coastal Carolina is ranked number 24. Hugh Freeze and Liberty Flames beat them last season. So I have Liberty as underranked and underappreciated, not ranked in the top 25. I don't get it. 
I believe that they should be ranked higher. But those are my five teams that I believe are ranked too high or too low. Notre Dame ranked too high at number seven. Florida ranked too low at number 11. Uh, beyond that, Wisconsin ranked too low at 15. I would probably have them right around the fringe of the top 10. Texas at number 19, entirely too low. And Liberty, not ranked at all, is obviously not ranked highly enough. Other teams that kind of stand out to me, LSU ranked at 13, feels a little high. If you remember, they had the worst defense in the Power Five last year. Bo Pelini is fired. Their starting quarterback, Miles Brennan, just got hurt a few days ago. He might not be ready for the opener. And I just look at that team and I say, it's a lot to expect them to go from as bad as they were last year to 10-2, and 11-1 type season, especially because you always got Alabama, you always got Auburn, A&M, uh, Florida on the schedule for LSU. Another team that I think is ranked probably a little too high, USC at number 14. I know they went 5-0 and in the regular season last year. Yes, only 5-0. and They only played five games. But come on, Clay Helton's going to figure out a way to blow it. Iowa probably ranked a little bit too low at number 18. They're a team that was really good by the end of the season. Um, and that's really about it. That's really about it. So that's my reaction to the top 25. We'll talk about the AP next week. But with that said... It's time to get to Hugh Freeze, the head coach at Liberty. That's right. Hugh Freeze is back. A guy that I just love talking ball with. And he and I connected last year in the middle of Liberty's incredible 10-1 season. And he's just a guy that's a great football coach. I mean, he has, you know, he had a situation in Ole Miss. We all know about it. He's talked about it. He talked about it on this podcast. But what's indisputable is wherever Hugh Freeze goes, he wins. And he wins big and he wins quick. Liberty coming off a 10-1 year. As I said, they did beat Coastal Carolina in that bowl game. And I think you are really going to enjoy this interview with Hugh Freeze. Uh, we talk about a lot of stuff, including, by the way, Oh, uh, Hugh Freeze, of course, is the former head coach at Ole Miss. They play at Ole Miss this year. We talk a little bit about his relationship with Lane Kiffin, Lane Kiffin's Twitter account. I really think you're going to enjoy the interview with Coach Hugh Freeze. Before I get to that, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, the Podcast Addict app, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. So much good college football stuff coming up. A lot of great guests coming up, starting with Hugh Freeze today. A couple good basketball guests coming up too. But make sure you're subscribed to the show. Rate and review. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you are following on social media. Like I told you, we got some big announcements coming soon. So make sure that you are subscribed. Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, Aaron Torres pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. That is all for this segment. It is time to get to Hugh Freeze. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. And now here is the head coach of the Liberty Flames, Hugh Freeze. All right, joining me via Zoom. Good friend of mine, uh, head coach, Liberty Flames, coming off a 10-1 season. He joined me in the middle of it last year. Uh, coach, Liberty has a historic, uh, you know, prominent program. I don't want to call it the most anticipated season in program history coming up. I kind of feel like it is. Coach, you freeze. How you doing, Coach? Oh, yeah, I think everybody feels that way, man. I, I'm <laughs> – I don't uh, – first, thank you for having me, man. You've been awful kind to me and our – program uh, all through the season last year and um we're excited to get it started uh this this year and there are a lot of expectations which that means we've done something right so 
we embrace those and uh, are, are excited about getting it going. So it was crazy because I was thinking about this, you know, first AP poll come out here next week. Um, you know, if you believe some of the, the two early top 25s, there's a chance the Liberty Flames could be ranked to start the season coming into 2021, the fall of uh, one. You've had success everywhere you've gone. Everybody knows your track record. And as I said, Liberty was a very successful program even prior to your arrival. But fourth year in the FBS, um, are you even surprised how successful, how well everything has worked out early with you and your guys? Oh, yeah, I would say I'm very surprised, really. It's, um, you know, truthfully, my first year here was the first full season of FBS play, of a full you know, schedule in FBS. And then obviously last year was our second. And uh, to be 2-0 and in bowl games in those two years, um, I've said it often, and this is not a uh, this is not a knock or slide on anyone, you know, but when we got here, you know, the roster was full of FCS players. And that's nobody's fault because that's what they that's what they were recruited to play. And and so in year one, you know, that last year was a magical ride, but year one was probably uh, as far as you, if you quantify uh, how much you achieve uh, with your roster, uh, year one was pretty special also. And then obviously last year to uh, have the run we did, and um, you know, finishing the number 17 in the country and, you know, beat uh, some good football teams and ended the season with a big win over an undefeated coastal team. Um, that was, uh, it was, a, it was a special run. So yeah, I'm, I'm a bit surprised. Um, you know, we've been able to turn every program that I've been a part of fairly quickly, but, uh, you know, this one, I think, uh, it, it certainly surprised me. What do you attribute that to? I mean, obviously great institutional support, all that, but like you said, no disrespect to anybody that was in the program. They were recruited, most of them, to play at the FCS level. What do you attribute to having so much success so quickly? Well, culture. I think culture wins. And, um, you know, I don't know that you ever get um, the exact culture you want by all 120 players plus the 40 staff and um, managers, trainers. I, I don't know what the number is, but you're probably approaching 170 people that you know, have a role in, in your program at the FBS level. And, you know, you if you can get a large percentage of those bought into your culture, um, it certainly goes a long way. I don't think that uh, culture alone beats talent, but you get enough talent with great culture. You've got a, you got a fighting chance. And <clears throat> I think I've told you this, I, I believe I have a lot of weaknesses and I try to hire people <laughs> that can handle those weaknesses. And I think I have a few strengths and, you know, one of the strengths I think I do have is, is pulling a group of, of people and pointing them in the same direction with a very, very detailed plan that we don't waver from that builds the culture you want. And if you can get, man, if you can get a few of those leaders to have the same voice in the locker room that you have in the team room, and I think it goes a long, long way. And we were fortunate to have some some quality leaders and kids that I think did that immediately with us. And and they're still with us. And, um, you know, and then the second thing besides culture would be the 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 recruiting. You know, we were able to 
to recruit really well in our first class. And then we added a, a second class to it for last year's. And, you know, this year we're adding a third class. So hopefully we're building a quality FBS depth. So dumb question, you know, every coach in America talks about culture. What do you believe the Hugh Freeze Liberty culture is? Because like I said, every coach talks about it. There aren't very many teams that go 10 and one. And it's again, no discredit to anybody else, but clearly something within that yeah. culture is working. Well, uh, you know, ours is uh, it's built on on faith and attitude and mental toughness and and love. And, you know, those are the four things that we we talk about and, and add integrity to that integrity being owning, you know, what the film says, owning what what the film of life says for your day. And then with, with those, once you you establish those, it's really to me, our culture is about chasing the standard. It's not about um, perfection. It's not about, it's how well are we chasing that standard? You'll never hear me talk about goals of numbers of wins, or I just don't believe in that. I believe that if I can establish a culture that honestly chases the standard, whether it's academics, whether it's um, nutrition, whether it's the weight room, whether it's the way we, our practice habits, um, if I can get a group that really will honestly evaluate at the end of a day, how well did I chase that standard today that we've said we all agree on? And, um, and once we all say we agree on it, then they, they give me that right to be the driving force behind that to call them and to call myself out. There's days I look in the mirror at the end of the day and say, man, you know, I didn't bring it well enough today in practice, or I didn't plan that period well enough. And the transition was awful. And that's my fault. And you know what, and, and, and have an integrity of that is saying, you know, I didn't get it the standard exactly right today, but I'm on mental to have the mental toughness enough to get up the next morning and do it better and, and, and do my role and play my role in it. You know, I'm, I, I just don't think, I'm not into uh, keeping up with with the number of strikeouts. Uh, I, I just man, let, let's chase that fastball as hard as we can, and we we'll get the middle middle end one. Let's turn on it as hard as we can, and and uh, I, I just I, I don't hold that against our players or our staff or myself. I've kind of learned that you know a lot of different ways through my journey, but uh, just man, that if I had to sum it up, it would be just chasing the standard daily and don't be result oriented. We can't get caught up in what the scoreboard may or may not say. We can't get caught up here with um, the, because reality is our schedule is different year to year right now with us being independent. And, you know, one year, seven wins may equate to last year's 10 wins. And we may think, man, we accomplished more with seven wins and I'm okay with that because I like putting us in those games that we are exciting to play. You're not going to win them all, but um, you know, let's just chase the standard and, and we'll leave the results to what they are. I want to get back to your team in a minute, but you just mentioned the schedule. I saw today why well, I knew this before, but early November, you guys play at Ole Miss. Uh, yeah. what, what, what have you, I know coach, uh, we were focused on week one with Campbell, but what do you think it's going to be like? I mean, I know the fan base there still loves you. What do you think it's going to be like to, to show up in Oxford there in early November? I think I'm going to need some tickets. 
<laughs> already, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to get enough tickets for everybody that's already hit me for it. Uh, either people here or people there. And, um, you know, I, I wish it wasn't on the schedule. Uh, I told our administration that I wasn't crazy about uh, that game was scheduled long before I took the job, obviously. And, and uh, I know Lane really well and, and he's going to do a heck of a job. And I love those people there. And and I do have a lot of friends that are still there. And I'm sure there'll be some that want to boo me, too, on that day. And and uh, I'm, I, I'll, I'll be prepared for that. But uh it's going to be a tough one, but we got a lot of games before uh, before we get to that one. But the, the biggest concern I have right now is the number of ticket requests I'm getting. <laughs> you worried about, our co- you know, Coach Kiffin's quick with those Twitter figures. You worried about what he might Look, say in the lead up to that game? Does he do his own Twitter? I don't know, man. He, I, think I wish he I does. Could, I, he is good at that stuff, man. I'm terrible at <laughs> Uh, I'm terrible. My daughter tells me half the time that uh, <laughs> you're terrible at this, and she has to do it most of the time for me now. But uh, he's dang good at that, and uh, and and it has some witty stuff. Uh, you know, the thing I'll say about Lane is I I think I remember the times we uh, were able to to beat them when he was at Alabama, and and uh, vividly remember him staying. Of course, that press conference after was was a really really long one for me and a good one. And that guy stood in that hallway in our complex until all was done just to, to talk to me and, wow. and congratulate me. I'll never forget that. And I think we, uh, we have a, we're not, we're not close, close friends. We don't talk all the time or anything like that, but we've just had a lot of uh, encounters throughout my college career, which is fairly short. And he's just always, I actually went out when he was the head coach at Oakland and spent a week there. Wow. Um, and, um, and so he's just always been very kind to me. And um, I think there's mutual respect. So I would doubt that he would, uh, that he would, he would yeah. do anything other than compliment us at this point, but you never know with Lane's Twitter account. I don't know. It's pretty dang good. I've, I don't follow many coaches, but I follow him because he makes me laugh. Well, when he, when he offered Messi a scholarship to come, to come compete, to be his kicker, that was when I was like, all right, I, I'm in on coach Kiffin right now. I'm in on coach Kiffin. Let me ask you a dumb question. It, this is, this conversation is taking a detour. You know, he is an incredibly respected play caller, creator of offenses. You yourself are, whether it's him, whether it's, what is it like when guys like you get in the room together and you just go on the whiteboard, the chalkboard, whatever, because whether it was with you with him in Oakland, whether it was in that hallway, I imagine those are some pretty exciting, you know, conversations that we'd all like to be a fly on the wall for, I guess I would say. Well, he, he's one of the best. Um, and, you know, I, I think we, we were totally different uh, guys brought up from, you know, I'm, I was the RPO tempo guy and, um, this worked for me, and and he was more of the the traditional USC pro style, and he was excellent at that and creating mismatches. And now, when he came to the SEC, I think he was uh, he he totally started getting into this other world that we're all in now. And you combine a guy with his uh, his uh, talent, imagination, and and there's something about a guy on on Saturdays that knows exactly when to call something and and to and he's great at getting matchups for his playmakers. So you know I think this new world um, has made him even more dangerous as a play caller of of offensive football. But it's always when I was in Oakland, it was all his his pro style stuff, which 
um, I never really bought into for me. Uh, sure. And because I, I never have coached at a place where I felt like uh, I think that's a great system. You can just if you have equal, if you have equal or, or better talent, um, you know, I've never felt like I rolled out to every game on our schedule and, and, and felt quite that way, whether it was at Lambeth or Ole Miss or Arkansas state or now here at Liberty. Um, so I've always felt like I've got to have a, an advantage um, if, if I don't have the same roster and, you know, that's why I do what we do on offense, but uh, now Lane's doing that with good talent. So he's dangerous. And uh, let me say this, I have great respect for Levy also. I think he's sure. a heck of a play caller and uh, you know, I don't know how they're doing it or, uh, or who's all calling it, but, uh, but Levy back to his Baylor days and, and everywhere he's been has been a heck of a play caller also. Well, and they did it, you know, with basically without a spring last year. I mean, nobody had a spring, but I mean, for a first year head coach, I was so impressed with how quickly they implemented it, how quickly they scored real quick. You know, we kind of open with your team coming into this year. I know it's a new year. It's reestablishing the culture. How do you feel? Because, because, you know, one 10 and one, it's exciting, but two, like you said, you have to reestablish it every year. You got to let the, the new 85 to 120 guys know that, Last year is over. This year, it's time to turn a chapter. I know you had all spring and winter workouts and stuff to do that, but how do you feel about your guys going in? We're about three, three and a half weeks till kickoff here. Yeah, you know, I told them uh, team meeting number one, um, and I had Eric Thomas here as a great motivational speaker, but our whole deal was um, last year's DNA is not this year's DNA. And as, as exciting as that was, and we've got the ring and the trophy case and the ranking, the picture of it, I'll save forever, but um, that has absolutely zero to do with uh, this this 21 campaign, and and so we've got to we've got to earn whatever comes our way, and certainly we will not be a uh, I don't know if we were last year or not, but we I assure you we won't surprise anyone when we walk out there on a on a Saturday now um, that they'll have uh, respect for our team and and know that they have to play well hopefully to to beat us and. Uh, so we'll, we'll get we'll get the best shot, I'm sure, this year. So we've got to earn everything that comes our way and it has nothing to do with last year's success. Coach, I got about 10 more questions for you, but you got a team meeting to get to, man. I can't keep you from your boys here. It's uh, it's go time. There's no holding back now, man. I appreciate you doing this. Listen, Aaron, any time for you, man. I appreciate what you do and how you do it for uh, for all of us and in, 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 in something we love in that sport. And uh, enjoy your your Twitter feeds also. You always have a, a, a most of the time, most of the time. There's not not many I can say it about. But there's most of the time I, I nod and say, you know, I agree with what his assessment. I'll tell you, every time I, I tweet something that people say are controversial, I have somebody else reach out to me saying, keep doing what you're doing. So. I appreciate that. I, you know, I'm a little bit of a loose cannon sometimes, but you know, it's okay. It's supposed to be fun, That's, right? So I'm like Coach Kiffin. It's supposed to be fun. You can't take yourself too seriously. No, man. I tell you, the, the time when I start stop having fun at doing this, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna give it to somebody else and go fishing and play golf. Well, I don't think it's gonna be anytime soon with the team you got. Uh, Hugh Freeze, head coach, Liberty. Man, I appreciate you doing this. Best of luck. I'm sure we'll connect some point during the season, maybe during a bye week or something. But thank you for the time, Coach. We appreciate it. I hope so. I hope we give you reason uh, to you for you to want us back on.